Section 5 of To the Christian Nobility of the German Nation by Martin Luther Translated by C. A. Buchheim This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty-seven articles respecting the reformation of the Christian estate continued. Twenty. The country chapels and churches must be destroyed, such as those to which the new pilgrimages have been set on foot. Vilsnacht, Sternberg, Treves, Grimmenthal, and now Ratisbon, and many others. Oh, what a reckoning there will be for those bishops that allow these inventions of the devil, and make a profit out of them. They should be the first to stop it. They think that it is a godly, holy thing, and do not see that the devil does this to strengthen covetousness, to teach false beliefs, to weaken parish churches, to increase drunkenness and debauchery, to waste money and labor, and simply to lead the poor people by the nose. If they had only studied the scriptures as much as their accursed canon law, they would know well how to deal with the matter. The miracles performed there prove nothing, for the evil one can also show wonders, as Christ has taught us. Matthew twenty four twenty four. If they took up the matter earnestly, and forbade such doings, the miracles would soon cease. Or, if they were done by God, they would not be prevented by their commands. And if there were nothing else to prove that these are not works of God, it would be enough that people go about turbulently and irrationally like herds of cattle, which could not possibly come from God. God has not commanded it. There is no obedience and no merit in it, and therefore it should be vigorously interfered with, and the people warned against it. For what is not commanded by God and goes beyond God's commandments is surely the devil's own work. In this way also, the parish churches suffer in that they are less venerated. In fine, these pilgrimages are signs of great want of faith in the people, for if they truly believed, they would find all things in their own churches, where they are commanded to go. But what is the use of my speaking? Every man thinks only how he may get up such a pilgrimage in his own district, not caring whether the people believes and lives rightly. The rulers are like the people, blind leaders of the blind. Where pilgrimages are a failure, they begin to glorify their saints, not to honor the saints, who are sufficiently honored without them, but to cause a concourse, and to bring in money. Then Pope and bishops help them. It rains indulgences, and every one can afford to buy them, but what God has commanded no one cares for. No one runs after it, no one can afford any money for it. Alas for our blindness, that we not only suffer the devil to have his way with his phantoms, but support him. I wish one would leave the good saints alone, and not lead the poor people astray. What spirit gave the Pope authority to glorify the saints? Who tells him whether they are holy or not holy? Are there not enough sins on earth as it is? But we must tempt God, interfere in his judgment, and make money-bags of his saints. Therefore my advice is to let the saints glorify themselves, or rather, God alone should glorify them. And every man should keep to his own parish, where he will profit more than in all the shrines, even if they were all put together into one shrine. Here a man finds baptism, the sacrament, preaching, and his neighbor. And these are more than all the saints in heaven, for it is by God's word and sacrament that they have all been hallowed. Our contempt for these great matters justifies God's anger in giving us over to the devil to lead us astray, 
to get up pilgrimages, to found churches and chapels, to glorify the saints, and to commit other like follies, by which we are led astray from the true faith into false beliefs, just as he did in old time with the people of Israel, whom he led away from the temple to countless other places, all the while in God's name, and with the appearance of holiness, against which all the prophets preached, suffering martyrdom for their words. But now no one preaches against it, and probably if he did, bishops, popes, priests, and monks would combine to martyr him. In this way Antonius of Florence and many others are made saints, so that their holiness may serve to produce glory and wealth, whereas otherwise they would have served simply as good examples for the glory of God. Even if this glorification of the saints had been good once, it is not good now. Just as many other things were good once, and are now occasion of offense and injurious, such as holidays, ecclesiastical treasures, and ornaments. For it is evident that what is aimed at the glorification of saints is not the glory of God, nor the bettering of Christendom, but money and fame alone. One church wishes to have an advantage over another, and would be sorry to see another church enjoying the same advantages. In this way they have in these latter days abused the goods of the church so as to gain the goods of the world, so that everything, and even God himself, must serve their avarice. Moreover, these privileges cause nothing but dissensions and worldly pride. One church being different from the rest, they despise or magnify one another whereas all goods that are of God should be common to all, and should serve to produce unity. This, too, is why they please the Pope, who would be sorry to see all Christians equal and at one with one another. Here must be added that one should abolish or treat as of no account, or give to all churches alike, the licenses, bulls, and whatever the Pope sells at his flying ground at Rome. For if he sells or gives to Wittenberg, to Halle, to Venice, and above all to his own city of Rome, special permissions, privileges, indulgences, graces, advantages, faculties, why does he not give them to all churches alike? Is it not his duty to do all that he can for all Christians without reward, solely for God's sake, nay, even to shed his blood for them? Why, then, I should like to know, does he give or sell these things to one church and not to another? Or does this accursed gold make a difference in his holiness's eyes between Christians, who all alike have baptism, gospel, faith, Christ, God, and all things? Do they wish us to be blind when our eyes can see, to be fools when we have reason, that we should worship this greed, knavery, and delusion? He is a shepherd, forsooth, as long as you have money, no further. And yet they are not ashamed to practice all this knavery right and left with their bowls. They care only for that accursed gold, and for naught besides. Therefore my advice is this. If this folly is not done away with, let all pious Christians open their eyes and not be deceived by these Romish bowls and seals, and all their specious pretenses. Let them stop at home in their own churches, and be satisfied with their baptism, gospel, faith, Christ, and God, who is everywhere the same. And let the Pope continue to be a blind leader of the blind. 
neither pope nor angel can give you as much as god gives you in your own parish nay he only leads you away from god's gifts which you have for nothing to his own gifts which you must buy giving you lead for gold skin for meat strings for a purse wax for honey words for goods the letter for the spirit as you can see for yourselves though you will not perceive it if you try to ride to heaven on the pope's wax and parchment your carriage will soon break down and you will fall into hell not in god's name let this be a fixed rule for you whatever has to be bought of the pope is neither good nor of god for whatever comes from god is not only given freely but all the world is punished and condemned for not accepting it freely so is it with the gospel and the works of god we have deserved to be led into these errors because we have despised god's holy word and the grace of baptism as st paul says and for this cause god shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness second thessalonians two eleven and twelve twenty one it is one of the most urgent necessities to abolish all begging in christendom no one should go about begging among christians it would not be hard to do this if we attempted it with good heart and courage each town should support its own poor and should not allow strange beggars to come in whatever they may call themselves pilgrims or mendicant monks every town could feed its own poor and if it were too small the people in the neighboring villages could be called upon to contribute as it is they have to support many knaves and vagabonds under the name of beggars if they did what i propose they would at least know who were really poor or not there should also be an overseer or guardian who should know all the poor and should inform the town or council or the priest of their requirements or some other similar provision might be made there is no occupation in my opinion in which there is so much knavery and cheating as among beggars and it could so easily be prevented this general unrestricted begging is besides injurious for the common people i estimate that of the five or six orders of mendicant monks each one visits every place more than six or seven times in the year then there are the common beggars messengers and pilgrims in this way i calculate every city has a blackmail levied on it about sixty times a year not counting rates and taxes paid to the civil government and the useless robberies of the roman sea so that it is to my mind one of the greatest of god's miracles how we manage to live and support ourselves some may think that in this way the poor would not be well cared for and that such great stone houses and convents would not be built and not so plentifully and i think so too but there would be no harm in that if a man will be poor he should not be rich if he will be rich let him put his hand to the plough and get wealth himself out of the earth it is enough to provide decently for the poor that they may not die of cold and hunger it is not right that one should work that another may be idle and live ill that another may be well as is now the perverse abuse for st paul says second thessalonians three ten if any would not work neither should he eat god has not ordained that any one should live of the goods of others except priests and ministers alone as st paul says first corinthians nine fourteen for their spiritual works sake 
as also Christ says to the apostles, Luke 10.7, the laborer is worthy of his hire. 22. It is also to be feared that the many masses that have been founded in convents and foundations, instead of doing any good, arouse God's anger. Wherefore it would be well to endow no more masses, and to abolish many of those that have been endowed. For we see that they are only looked upon as sacrifices and good works, though in truth they are sacraments, like baptism and confession, and as such profit him only that receives them. But now the custom obtains of saying masses for the living and the dead, and everything is based upon them. This is the reason why there are so many, and that they have come to be what we see. But perhaps all this is a new and unheard-of doctrine, especially in the eyes of those that fear to lose their livelihood if these masses were abolished. I must therefore reserve what I have to say on this subject until men have arrived at a truer understanding of the Mass, its nature and use. The Mass has, alas, for so many years been turned into a means of gaining a livelihood that I should advise a man to become a shepherd, a laborer rather than a priest or monk, unless he knows what the Mass is. All this, however, does not apply to the old foundations and chapters, which were doubtless founded in order that, since according to the custom of Germany all the children of nobles cannot be landowners and rulers, they should be provided for in these foundations, and these serve God freely, study, and become learned themselves, and help others to acquire learning. I am speaking only of the new foundations, endowed for prayers and masses, by the example of which the old foundations have become burdened with the like prayers and masses, making them of very little, if of any, use. Through God's righteous punishment they have at last come down to the dregs as they deserve, that is, to the noise of singers and organs and cold spiritless masses, with no end but to gain and spend the money due to them. Popes, bishops, and doctors should examine and report on such things. As it is, they are the guiltiest, allowing anything that brings them money, the blind ever leading the blind. This comes of covetousness and the canon law. It must, moreover, not be allowed in future that one man should have more than one endowment or prebend. He should be content with a moderate position in life, so that others may have something besides himself, and thus we must put a stop to the excuses of those that say that they must have more than one office to enable them to live in their proper station. Is it possible to estimate one's proper station in such a way that a whole kingdom should not suffice to maintain it? So it is that covetousness and want of faith in God go hand in hand, and often men take for the requirements of their station what is mere covetousness and want of faith. 23. As for the fraternities, together with indulgences, letters of indulgence, dispensations, masses, and all the rest of such things, let it all be drowned and abolished. There is no good in it at all. If the Pope has the authority to grant dispensation in the matter of eating butter and hearing masses, let him allow priests to do the same. He has no right to take the power from them. I speak also of the fraternities in which indulgences, masses, and good works are distributed. My friend, in baptism you joined a fraternity of which Christ, 
the angels, the saints, and all Christians are members. Be true to this, and satisfy it, and you will have fraternities enough. Let others make what show they wish. They are as counters compared to coins. But if there were a fraternity that subscribed money to feed the poor, or to help others in any way, this would be good, and it would have its indulgence and its deserts in heaven. But now they are good for nothing but gluttony and drunkenness. First of all, we should expel from all German lands the Pope's legates, with their faculties which they sell to us for much money, though it is all knavery. As, for instance, their taking money, for making goods unlawfully acquired to be good, for freeing from oaths, vows, and bonds, thus destroying and teaching others to destroy truth and faith mutually pledged, saying the Pope has authority to do so. It is the evil spirit that bids them talk thus, and so they sell us the devil's teaching, and take money for teaching us sins and leading us to hell. If there were nothing else to show that the Pope is Antichrist, this would be enough. Dost thou hear this, O Pope, not the most holy, but the most sinful? Would that God would hurl thy chair headlong from heaven, and cast it down into the abyss of hell. Who gave you the power to exalt yourself above your God, to break and to loose what he has commanded, to teach Christians, more especially Germans, who are of noble nature and are famed in all histories for uprightness and truth, to be false, unfaithful, perjured, treacherous and wicked. God has commanded to keep faith and observe oaths even with enemies. You dare to cancel this command, laying it down in your heretical, anti-Christian decretals, that you have power to do so. And through your mouth and your pen Satan lies as he never lied before, teaching you to twist and pervert the scriptures according to your own arbitrary will. O Lord Christ, look down upon this, let thy day of judgment come and destroy the devil's lair at Rome. Behold, him of whom St. Paul spoke, 2 Corinthians 2, 3, and 4, that he should exalt himself above thee, and sit in thy church, showing himself as God, the man of sin, and the child of damnation. What else does the Pope's power do but teach and strengthen sin and wickedness, leading souls to damnation in thy name? The children of Israel in old times kept the oath that they had sworn in ignorance and error to the Gibeonites, their enemies. And King Zedekiah was destroyed utterly with his people because he broke the oath that he had sworn to the king of Babylon. And among us a hundred years ago, the noble king Ladislaus V of Poland and Hungary was slain by the Turk with so many of his people because he allowed himself to be misled by papal legates and cardinals, and broke the good and useful treaty that he had made with the Turk. The pious emperor Sigismund had no good fortune after the Council of Constance, in which he allowed the knaves to violate the safe conduct that he had promised to John Huss and Jerome. From this has followed all the miserable strife between Bohemia and ourselves. And in our own time, God help us, how much Christian blood has been shed on account of the oath and bond which Pope Julius made and unmade between the Emperor Maximilian and King Louis of France. How can I tell all the misery the popes have caused by such devilish insolence, 
claiming the power of breaking oaths between great lords, causing a shameful scandal for the sake of money. I hope the day of judgment is at hand. Things cannot and will not become worse than the dealings of the Roman chair. The Pope treads God's commandments underfoot and exalts his own. If this is not Antichrist, I do not know what is. But of this, and to more purpose, another time. 24. It is high time to take up earnestly and truthfully the cause of the Bohemians, to unite them with ourselves and ourselves with them, so that all mutual accusations, envy, and hatred may cease. I will be the first in my capacity of fool to give my opinion with all due deference to those of better understanding. First of all, we must honestly confess the truth without attempting self-justification, and own one thing to the Bohemians, namely that John Huss and Jerome of Prague were burnt at Constance in violation of the papal, Christian, and imperial oath and safe conduct, and that thus God's commandment was broken and the Bohemians excited to great anger. And though, no doubt, they ought to have been perfect men, and have patiently endured this wrong and disobedience to God, yet we cannot expect them to approve it and think it right. Nay, even now they should run any danger of life and limb rather than own that it is right to break an imperial, papal, Christian safe conduct and act faithlessly in opposition to it. Therefore, though the Bohemians may be to blame for their impatience, yet the Pope and his followers are most to blame for all the misery, all the error and destruction of souls that followed this Council of Constance. It is not my intention here to judge John Huss's belief and to defend his errors, although my understanding has not been able to find any error in him, and I would willingly believe that men who violated a safe conduct and God's commandment, doubtless possessed rather by the evil spirit than by the Spirit of God, were unable to judge well or to condemn with truth. No one can imagine that the Holy Ghost can break God's commandments. No one can deny that it is breaking God's commandments to violate faith and a safe conduct, even though it were promised to the devil himself, much more than in the case of a heretic. It is also notorious that a safe conduct was promised to John Huss and the Bohemians, and that the promise was broken and Huss was burnt. I have no wish to make a saint or a martyr of John Huss, as some Bohemians do, though I own that he was treated unjustly, and that his books and his doctrines were wrongfully condemned. For God's judgments are inscrutable and terrible, and none but himself may reveal or explain them. All I say is this, granting he was a heretic, however bad he may have been, yet he was burnt unjustly, and in violation of God's commandments, and we must not require the Bohemians to approve this, if we wish ever to be at one with them. Plain truth must unite us, not obstinacy. It is no use to say, as they said at the time, that a safe conduct need not be kept, if promised to a heretic. That is as much as to say one may break God's commandments in order to keep God's commandments. They were infatuated and blinded by the devil, that they could not see what they said or did. God has commanded us to observe a safe conduct, and this we must do, though the world should perish, 
much more than where it is only a question of a heretic being let free. We should overcome heretics with books, not with fire, as the old fathers did. If there were any skill in overcoming heretics with fire, the executioner would be the most learned doctor in the world, and there would be no need to study, but he that could get another into his power could burn him. Besides this, the emperor and the princes should send to Bohemia several pious, learned bishops and doctors, but for their life no cardinal or legate or inquisitor, for such people are far too unlearned in all Christian matters, and do not seek the salvation of souls. But like all the papal hypocrites, they seek only their own glory, profit, and honor. They were also the leaders in that calamitous affair at Constance. But those learned men should inquire into the faith of the Bohemians to ascertain whether it would be possible to unite all their sects into one. Moreover, the Pope should, for their souls' sake, for a time abandon his supremacy, and, in accordance with the statutes of the Nicene Council, allow the Bohemians to choose for themselves an Archbishop of Prague. This choice to be confirmed by the bishops of Olmutz in Moravia, or of Grin in Hungary, or the Bishop of Pinesen in Poland, or the Bishop of Magdeburg in Germany. It is enough that it be confirmed by one or two of these bishops, as in the time of St. Cyprian. And the Pope has no authority to forbid it. If he forbids it, he acts as a wolf and a tyrant, and no one should obey him, but answer his excommunication by excommunicating him. Yet if, for the honor of the chair of St. Peter, any one prefers to do this with the Pope's knowledge, I do not object, provided that the Bohemians do not pay a farthing for it, and that the Pope do not bind them a single hair's breadth, or subject them to his tyranny by oath, as he does all other bishops, against God and justice. If he is not satisfied with the honor of his assent being asked, leave him alone by all means, with his own rights, laws, and tyrannies. Be content with the election, and let the blood of all the souls that are in danger be upon his head. For no man may countenance wrong, and we have already shown enough respect to tyranny. If we cannot do otherwise, we may consider the popular election and consent as equal to a tyrannical confirmation. But I hope this will not be necessary. Sooner or later some Romans or pious bishops and learned men must perceive and avert the Pope's tyranny. I do not advise that they be forced to abandon the sacrament in both kinds, for it is neither unchristian nor heretical. They should be allowed to continue in their present way. But the new bishop must see that there be no dissensions about this matter, and they must learn that neither practice is actually wrong, just as there need be no disputes about the priests not wearing the same dress as the laity. In the same way, if they do not wish to submit to the canon laws of the Roman Church, we must not force them, but we must content ourselves with seeing that they live in faith, and according to the Scriptures. For Christian life and Christian faith may very well exist without the Pope's unbearable laws. Nay, they cannot well exist until there are fewer of those laws, or none. Our baptism has freed us, and made us subject to God's word alone. Why then should we suffer a man to make us the slaves of his words? As St. Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, 
in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Galatians 5.1 If I knew that the only error of the Hussites was that they believed that in the sacrament of the altar there is true bread and wine, though under it the body and blood of Christ, if I say this were their only error, I should not condemn them. But let the bishop of Prague see to this. For it is not an article of faith, that in the sacrament there is bread and wine in substance and nature, which is a delusion of St. Thomas and the Pope. But it is an article of faith, that in the natural bread and wine there is Christ's true flesh and blood. We should accordingly tolerate the views of both parties until they are at one. For there is not much danger, whether you believe there is or there is not bread in the sacrament. For we have to suffer many forms of belief and order that do not injure the faith. But if they believe otherwise, it would be better not to unite with them, and yet to instruct them in the truth. All other errors and dissensions to be found in Bohemia should be tolerated until the archbishop has been reinstated, and has succeeded in time in uniting the whole people in one harmonious doctrine. We shall never unite them by force, by driving or hurrying them. We must be patient and use gentleness. Did not Christ have to walk with his disciples, suffering their unbelief until they believed in his resurrection? If they had but once more a regular bishop and good discipline without Romish tyranny, I think matters would mend. The temporal possessions of the church should not be too strictly claimed. But since we are Christians and bound to help one another, we have the right to give them these things for the sake of unity, and to let them keep them before God and the world. For Christ says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Would to God we helped on both sides to bring about this unity, giving our hands one to the other in brotherly humility, not insisting on our authority or our rights. Love is more and more necessary than the papacy at Rome. The papacy can exist without love, and love can exist without the papacy. I hope I have done my best for this end. If the Pope or his followers hinder this good work, they will have to give an account of their actions, for having against the love of God sought their own advantage more than their neighbors. The Pope should abandon his papacy, all his possessions and honors, if he could save a soul by doing so. But he would rather see the world go to ruin than give up a hair's breadth of the power he has usurped. And yet he would be our most holy father. Herewith am I at least excused. End of section 5